Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Are you actually having fun? Like we, whatever you fill in the blank, whatever you think alcohol helps you with or does for you, are you actually having fun? Are you actually less anxious? Are you actually a better parent? Are you actually less depressed? You know, whatever it is, just question it. It does it actually help. Are you sure? Are you sure you're having fun when you're socializing? Because I thought I was too. And I like, I humiliated myself so many times. It was awful. That's not fun. Blacking out, getting sloppy, falling down. That's not fun at all. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself. And it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers. Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on? Happy Friday, 11-11. And it's actually... November 11th, 2022. So that is that 11-11-11-11? That's a lot of 11s. Uh, I don't know what that really means. I'm sure some of you listeners and viewers do. So if you wouldn't mind, put it in the comments, send me a DM, let me know what 11-11 means for, for you. Uh, what it means for me is I have a great episode, a highly personal episode, much like last week's episode where I shared the news about my dear Chihuahua Blondie, passing away and I did an all dogs go to heaven sort of tribute episode. It was silly, but it was really cathartic for me. So I appreciate you guys listening and writing in and talking about it and your sympathy. I, I, I really appreciate it. Um, she was the light of my world as a lot of you know, and I miss her terribly, but I won't really dwell on that. Um, what I do want to talk about is it's a lot of really big changes. And this episode has been a long time coming. Uh, I get asked a lot of times when I am out in social situations, hey man, you want a beer? And I say, no, not anymore. Um, as of last weekend on f Saturday, November 5th, I celebrated two years of being alcohol free. It was a choice that I made like right in the middle of the pandemic. I think a lot of us imbibed a little too much during the pandemic. I was definitely one of those people that did. What started out as kind of a, a challenge to myself of, let me just try doing this, giving this up for 30 days. Cause I was experiencing a lot of anxiety in my life and sort of little aches and pains. And even though I'm a really athletic guy, I run, I swim, I, you know, I was like, ah, I'm not feeling so great. And it wasn't doing me any favors, but I was like, let me try it for 30 days and see what happens. And 30 days led to 45, led to 90, led to six months, led to a year. And now two years later, and I got to tell you something, 
I thought there's no way I'm going to, um, I'm going to be able to keep this up or that I'm going to, you know, I think when people want to give up something like, oh, it's going to be all this drag. I'm not going to have any friends. I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to go on dates. It's going to be super awkward. I'll tell you something. I don't miss it at all. <laughs> That's just straight up. You save money. You feel better. I mean, there's a lot of benefits. If you're looking at giving up alcohol, do it. If not, like, don't listen to me. It, you know, you guys make your own choices. I'm not here to advocate for that. I am going to say that it helped really alleviate a lot of anxiety in my life that I didn't really understand where it was coming from. It helped me sleep better and just function as a better adult and really a lot more in touch with my feelings. So I wasn't a daily drinker. I was a binge drinker. Occasionally, like once a month, just, hey, let's go off. Woohoo! Uh, not so good, but um, I curbed it. So this episode, I met this young lady named Jill Teets this year at Podcast Movements Evolutions was in Los Angeles. It's a podcast networking conference, and she has a podcast called Sober Power. Her name is Jill Teets, and we just started talking. I was like, oh, Sober Power. And I had seen her stuff on Instagram before, and we started talking. We became friends, and uh, I said, you know, I really want to do an episode about sobriety because what I will say is that a lot of people that experience trauma, it is not, uh, it is not lost on anyone that people turn to substances. I was not one of those people who was lost in my trauma. I didn't start drinking until I was in my late 20s. I definitely made up for lost time. But, um, you know, in college I did, but it wasn't really a part of my life. But I think that uh, a lot of people find themselves caught up in these cycles and some never really get out of it. And it unfortunately has, you know, a massive toll on their health and their finances and their life in general. You know, things like the heroin epidemic and the opioid epidemic really affect areas of like my beloved home state of Ohio and everywhere, really in the four corners of the world. Uh, so it is um, it is something, you know, hey, if you guys are into it, if you are looking to quit, there are all kinds of resources out there. And Jill is a fantastic person for that. But first, as I always do, I want to go to your listener questions, comments, DMs of the week. And this one comes from Instagram. This comes from Jennifer Mary. She says, Hi, Collier. I recently just learned of your story through coverage of a podcast I follow. I watched your documentary and have since binged your podcast. I am also a childhood trauma survivor with a narcissistic parent, a mother for me. I seriously cannot thank you enough for what you are doing. You are a brave and beautiful soul. Please never stop fighting and sharing. I also wanted to pass along my deepest condolences on the loss of your dear Blondie. Animals have been, been my rock, cats, for me. And I know what you're going through and it breaks my heart. I lost my 16 year old girly in December, 2021 and her brother 11 is now sick. Blondie will continue to be by your side and you gave her the best life as she did for you. Sending you love, kindness and gratitude your way. Thank you so much, Jennifer Mary. That is really kind of you to reach out and share that. I'm sorry that you had to go through all of that. I'm glad that this podcast is resonating with you, that my film has resonated with you and that it, you are finding a sort of a source of strength and support in your journey to heal yourself from your trauma. That's really cool. Um, I want to give a shout out to my new Patreon subscribers as well. So I also want to give a shout out to my new Patreon subscribers on my Patreon channel, which is patreon.com forward slash Collier Landry, Paula Marie Cornell, Naomi Brewster, Shannon Jenkins, Hannah Foreman, Heather Justice. Thank you all for joining my Patreon this month. Um, your support means the world to me. It goes to support this podcast. As you guys know, your listener support is really what makes this podcast possible. 
I know I talk about this a lot, but I really thank you guys for your support. I am putting newer and bigger content on my Patreon channel. And if I re reach certain goals, I'm going to have some really cool things like behind the scenes of making a murder in Mansfield, exclusive interviews with you know members of my family, members of law enforcement, conversations I've had, I've had with my father. Uh, I will put all that stuff up. I have it all. Look for some really exciting content coming out for me in the next couple of months and leading into the new year. That's all I got for that. So I'm pleased to welcome my sober-powered friend, Jill Teets, to the program. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So, Jill, you know, we um, we obviously bonded uh, at Podcast Evolutions earlier this year, primarily because I think we were both, like, trying to figure out what was going on and we needed, like, a festival. You know, I... I think I told you guys that I needed a festival buddy, but I had come to listen to your talk on stage and you had done just such a fantastic job. And then I, as somebody who had recently gotten sober, um, uh, November 5th, 2020 was, or quit drinking rather. And I said, um, you know, I wanted to connect with you and we were sharing our stories and that's kind of how we bonded and we became little festival buddies. <laughs> Yeah, like nonstop buddies. I was thinking today, I'm like, how did we actually meet for the first time? Because I just remember us like hanging out nonstop. And I don't remember when, like, how did we actually introduce ourselves? Yeah, I think I just approached you and we just started talking. And then we were like, oh, okay. And like, what are you doing? Which one are you going to? And I think we geeked out over um, Andrew Huberman because yep. he was there. So Huberman Labs. And he followed you on Instagram and you were all excited. And I was like, he didn't follow me. <laughs> But I was, you know, I think we gravitate, you know, I gravitated towards you because, you know, my podcast is so, and I think this is true, obviously, for a lot of podcasters, but they get into this medium because something is very personal for you. And whether it's your personal interest or it's a, it's for myself, it's a personal journey. And for you as well, it's a journey of you healing yourself and an, ex you know, and, and then taking and empowering that to help others, right? And you with your podcast is unique because you're not necessarily talking about your drinking days and all of that, but you are sharing real analytical information with your audience. Yeah, I don't actually like to share stories about myself very much. People will ask, like, can you tell us some embarrassing things you did or like some consequences that you had? And like, I don't really like to get into it it's a bad memory like all of those memories are horrible i never want to think about them again if i don't have to and i try to think more like not about me specifically just like what's going on like in our brains and less about like memories yeah and you know i think that i shared with you when i first met you um i had read a book years ago called um this naked mind by maggie grace who also has a podcast um called i believe this naked mind actually and you know how i discovered that book because i think you know for me you know we shared our personal stories with you with you know alcohol for me you know uh and i haven't really discussed it in this much length on my program before but people do ask me oh why did you quit drinking and i said you know for me it just wasn't working anymore and uh, I think a lot of people approached me and, and said, oh, you know, oh, well, 
were you getting wasted or were you drinking because of your trauma? And it was like, no, I didn't start drinking until I was in my late twenties. <laughs> you know, I mean, really like drinking and I was a binge drinker and a lot of it, I always talk about my experience in the entertainment industry. You wrap a show, you go out and party. And then for me, it's like, I didn't stop for a couple of days, you know, and then I would stop and then life would go back to normal. And then another month would roll by and I'd get super stressed out. And then I would go back. It was a roller coaster. And it went on for that, like, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years, you know. And until I finally just said, you know, it started to slow down in the end because I was, you know, working so much. And obviously I made a film about my life and I, I had pauses in my life where I would like, okay, I'm not going to drink for six months. But then six months rolled by, I'm like, oh, I'll get a beer. And then, you know, two days later I wake up and I'm like, okay, I just, you know, I just basically took, took two days off which I had off. It wasn't like I had responsibilities, but it was beginning to interfere. And, and for me, it was the anxiety. I had so much anxiety and it wasn't really until I discovered that alcohol was the cause of that anxiety because we, we, you know, one of the things that I, I find very interesting when I read your posts, when I listen to your message, your episodes, you, I mean, you just did a post yesterday talking about you know how and maggie talks about this because she i believe worked in the marketing industry right yep and you know the placement of bottles when you go into a bar and how sexy everything looks and how the alcohol industry makes they glamorize everything right they don't glamorize you laying in the street you know puking on your <laughs> puke down your shirt they glamorize the nightlife and the party life and you know, there are people that can drink like that and have a good time, but you know, I was not one of those people <laughs> and I, you weren't one of those people. So I guess what I'm interested in is talk to me about your journey of that. When you, where you started, where you said, this is enough. And then what you decided to do about it. So I started late too. Um, so I didn't start drinking until I was 22. I had my very first drink at 18. And then I had a big gap. So I didn't drink in high school because I was bullied. So I was just never invited anywhere. And it obviously sucked in the moment. But looking back, I see it as really protective because I didn't have the opportunity to get drunk and hook up with guys or try drugs and like all this stuff. I was protected. And I imagine like what would have happened if I started sooner or if I was introduced to drugs. So I didn't start until I was 22. And I drank because that's what you do when you're stressed out. Kind of like yep. you were saying a minute ago. Like when you're stressed, you drink and then your stress goes away. That's just like what we do. And I learned that from other people, like modeling that for me and telling me that. And whenever I would be stressed, people would give me alcohol or suggest that we go out. And then I would feel better. So then I believe like, okay, this is what, this is what you do. This is what works. And the problem was I was a very stressed out individual. So I drank every day. <laughs> I started doing that like pretty quickly. Like within the first year, I started drinking every day. And I also had this belief from the media that that's like what classy adults do. Sure. They come home and they share a bottle of wine. And that's like, that's how you know, like you made it, you know? Um, yeah. Except I was drinking more than that, but I could pretend. Oh, yeah, you're like, 
appetizer appetizer yep yeah that's that's what i drink before i even start eating <laughs> that's the pre-game drinks it's the pre-game warm-up yeah exactly yeah um and unfortunately for me i never had control over the amount that i drank um i just i couldn't understand like why i would stop when was enough to stop like i couldn't understand like the number of drinks that was enough like some people have that voice where they're like okay three drinks you know i gotta get up tomorrow i i had no understanding of that i was like okay three drinks four would be more amazing five would be more amazing like just keep going until bedtime why would you stop and that got me in trouble a lot um i got really sick a lot I got sick in public a lot, um, very glamorous, got sick on dates, it's like a whole thing. Um, and I just thought it was normal and that's the worst part. Like we think, cause we laugh off that behavior and people just think it's okay and we think everybody does it. And slowly over the years I started realizing no one else did it. I had like you hear that that's normal behavior. But I wasn't seeing anyone else drink the way that I was drinking. And I was starting to pick up on that. Like I would watch my husband drink or I would watch my friends or my family or whoever drink, random strangers. And I never saw anyone drink the way that I did. I never saw anyone throw up in the street, <laughs> except for me. Um, <laughs> I've never seen anyone do that before, but I did it so many times. And slowly I started to question like, do I have a problem? Yeah. <laughs> am I am I an alcoholic? Yeah. And then I would convince myself like, no, me, I have a master's degree, I'm married, I don't have a DUI. Like I would list, I've never, miss work because of a hangover. Like I had this big long list of why I didn't have a problem, but I had this question in the back of my head and I had this knowledge that no one else was doing what I was doing. That my husband, he used to make me so mad because we would drink and party and then he would switch to water. <laughs> and then the next day he would wake up and live his life and continue on and I would wake up the next day destroyed <laughs> and I used to get mad at him like why why aren't you making me stop too like I made it his responsibility <laughs> oh my god why aren't you helping me and I tried to like get him in on it and it was awful and I just couldn't stop I had, I had no off switch but I'm sure that that's a common thing in a relationship dynamic especially if you're married and one person is the normie yeah right and they can just have a couple of drinks and they can go they can regulate and go okay i'm going to water or switch to coconut water or i'm going to do these preemptive like preemptive things to prevent that hangover you know i i would often like i would take charcoal tablets because the charcoal would help you know filter out the stuff so i would i would i would prepare with like i'm going to take some electrolytes or i remember because for me i would just suffer through the hangover like yep it's so funny like i would put alcohol in my system but if you told me to take an ibuprofen i'd be like i'm not putting that in my body <laughs> like 
and I and I still feel that way. I mean, for me to take an ibuprofen, if I took it, I'll even tell somebody if I like if I took I took an ibuprofen, they're like, whoa, okay. Because I wouldn't, and I remember, you know, I had friends that would, you know, they would take Xanax to come down and, you know, they'd be going through anxiety and things like that. And I wouldn't take anything, right? And I just remember suffering through the worst hangovers. And for me, it would be, you know, then the anxiety would kick in and I couldn't sleep. And then I would show, I, I would have to go to work or I have to work the next day, whatever it was doing. And I was just like, I had this just anxiety. And then that anxiety would turn into like a rush, right? And then you're, you're, you're under duress. So now you're really going to focus in and hone in and get everything done. You need to get done in a very compressed amount of time, which worked. And so therefore I could convince myself, okay, well, I'm good. I'll work this out. You know, eventually I, I won't feel like this and, um, I'll, I'll regulate my, you know, my, cause it was, I was a binger, right? So, and I'll take three weeks off and I won't do anything. I'll go back to the gym and I'll do this, but it's, it's a vicious cycle and the mind is such a you know they say I, I you know i didn't go through the program to to quit I, did you go through the program no i just quit and then eventually went to therapy yeah so i started therapy and then i actually started taking lexapro to regulate my my ups and downs right and then i drank while i took lexapro that was not a pretty thing because you shouldn't drink when you take something like that that's an anxiety drug and then when i quit i just started therapy and I actually sought out a therapist who was an addiction specialist or had, he was an addiction specialist, but he had a background in residential treatment. And I was like, look, I come with a whole, like for me, I can say, here's a documentary I want you to watch. <laughs> do your homework. <laughs> do your homework. So I don't have to spend 10 therapy sessions telling you the introduction to all of this. And then I want to quit drinking because I have anxiety because it's, it's work induced, it's stressed and lifestyle induced. And I'm on this program. I've gotten clean and I've, I've started, I've stopped drinking today and I want to move forward, you know, and that was how I introduced myself to my therapist because I wanted somebody that had that background and it's been great. I'm with the same therapist here we are almost two years later and I'm with the same therapist and it's still, and now it's not even, you know, it's a non-issue for me. Right. And I have people that reach out to me that say, how did you quit drinking? And I tell them what, you know, I just, I just stopped. Like one day you're just, if you will just go, I've had enough. I had enough. I'm good. <laughs> you know, and you've had enough second chances. You've had enough close calls and you just say, I'm done. And I think that's, that's where you were. Yeah. And the annoying thing, like I used to go in Facebook groups, even though I was trying to moderate my drinking for almost all of my drinking. And I would go on Facebook groups, sober Facebook groups, and sure. I couldn't take the hint. You're seeking out sober groups, but you're trying to moderate. Like I wasn't looking for moderation groups. I was joining sober groups and I would post about, you know, oh, I tried this. It didn't work or whatever. And everyone was so kind to me. And I did that for years. And what people say often when someone struggles is like, it's okay. You're just not ready. You're just not there yet. And that used to infuriate me. And I know that makes other people mad too, but it's really the truth. And that's what you're saying. Like one day it just clicked and you were ready and you were like, okay, I'm done. Like for me, one day it clicked 
And I was like, wow, I really can't drink. Like, I'm a nightmare. I will never be able to drink any other way. And then I stopped. But yeah, a lot of people will stay in that like not ready stage for so many years. And I hate that we have to say that, like you're not ready, you're not there yet, but it takes so much time. And you know, every day that goes by and every time you drink and like blow up your life, and then you reflect on it, like you're getting closer at least to that point. Yeah, it's interesting for me, you know, I I was that same way, right? And I would go on, I would go to these, these days, we were probably in the same group, looking at the same messages. (laughs) I would be, you know, researching. And then again, it's not a moderation thing. I'd be like, okay, what do people look, you know, what do people do? And I even went to AA and I would, and I would go to those meetings. This is before I quit, but I, I, cause I would take, obviously I would take breaks. Like I definitely had periods when I, from when I started drinking to when I quit, where I would take, you know, three months off, six months off, you know, a year off. Um, but then I would come back to it because I wouldn't, it wasn't like, because for me, it wasn't, this is never going to happen again. You know, this is like, I'm just going to take a period to just do whatever. Right. And, uh, it, was interesting because I would be in those groups or I would go to, a, you know, to AA and it was, uh, it, it was great, but I would think in those groups, I think to myself, sometimes I'm like, God, I really want to leave and I want to have a drink. <laughs> I've heard that it's, from so many people. Cause you hear people's stories of like their rock bottoms. Right. And you're like, okay, that's depressing. And I didn't have like a rock bottom story per se. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I do have a rock bottom, right? But I didn't have a rock, I mean, a rock bottom for me, but I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to be homeless. I have no job. I have no career. It is interfering because, I mean, this is one of the things that Maggie Grace talks about is like, when you are in that state where you're like, I don't have a problem. You're like, well, I make all this money. I have a great career. I have a family. I'm married. It's not affecting my marriage. It's not like, it's not affecting the things around me. And you don't really realize that it is affecting the things around you. You're just not aware of that. And as you become aware of that, you go, oh, okay. Um, and that's what happened with me is, and then I would be in these, you know, these rooms and I would like, okay, well now I really want to drink. And then you find other people that are not sober that are in there. And then you're like, okay. And for me, it was like, you know, I had a friend who was in the program for 10 years and then she was like, you need to go to the program. And this guy was like, it, it, this was right at the end, right before I quit, like probably a week before I quit, I met this guy. She's like, oh, he should be your sponsor. And he goes, yeah, you need to go. He's like, I go to four meetings a day and I've been doing it for the last like 10 years. And this is during the middle of the pandemic, of course. And I said to him, okay, okay, four hours a day. And I thought about like how much if I broke down, cause you know, it would be like two or three days a month I would drink. Right. And if I broke that down hourly per day, it would be like four. Cause I was very analytical and I think you're the same way. So we start going, okay, well, we have this amount of time. We have this amount of time, right? And I started thinking, well, okay, I spend four hours a day drinking. And I thought, well, the whole point of me not drinking is because I don't want alcohol to have any control over my life. So what is the difference? Obviously, it's a healthier choice to not. And this is not, look, for anyone listening, you get help where you can get help. If you have a problem drinking, 12-step programs, AA, whatever, is a great way if you for you to find a support system, hands down. So I'm not, you know, I'm not putting that down. For me, it wasn't a choice that I found worked for me, but for others, it's done wonders. Um, but 
I just remember thinking to myself, I said to him, I said, well, what is the difference between other than the health benefits of not drinking, but going to AA four days, four hours a, a day, alcohol still has a control over your life. And he didn't like that very much, but he was like, at least I'm not drinking. But that's when it really clicked with me. It was like, okay, I don't, I don't even want that. Like then that's not a solution for me. The solution is cut the shit out and be done with it. And that's what I did. You know, um, when you quit, how long did, you know, there's, I, and I would always read things. Oh, it's going to take you a month to get your sleep back. You're going to crave sugar. You're going to have all these things. What was that like for you? Those initial first days? Cause I feel like that's where I always wanted to hear with people with the, their sober stories. Like what, okay, you just decided this. What's it like 12 hours later? What's it like a day later? Yeah, so I quit twice. So I did, and and both are different. That's why I bring it up. So I quit for 90 days um, to cure myself so that I could drink normally again and moderate. I did the 90 days and it wasn't that hard. So naturally I must have been cured. I wasn't. Um, but when I quit that time, I just... I did it myself. I didn't get any support. Like I was kind of in those groups on Facebook, but I was just living like the same exact life. I had just plucked out my favorite thing, which was the center of my life. I was a daily drinker. So like my life revolved around drinking alcohol. So I lived the same exact life just without drinking. And sure. I was angry and cranky. Um, and depressed like the whole time. I was so upset. My emotions were everywhere. It, I would get very overwhelmed and not know like what to do about it. And then when I quit the second time, when I quit for good, I had less of that because I also had acceptance and I knew like I had to do some work. Um, but my sleep was awful. I had really bad insomnia for like three weeks. So sometimes people will reach out to me and they'll say like, they went back to drinking, like they tried, they got two weeks and they still can't sleep. And I was like, you needed like one more, one more week. And now you've reset and you got to do those two horrible weeks again. But it takes, everybody's going to be different. It takes like three to four weeks to see an improvement for most people, it's not, your sleep's not going to be perfect, but it's going to start to improve because withdrawal lasts 14 days. So if you're doing like a few days or like a week or so, you're still in withdrawal, even if you don't feel like trash every day. Um, so that was hard. And I had really bad night sweats. I don't know if you got that, but I was yeah. so sweaty. My husband and I used to laugh. He stays up later than me and he would come in the bed and he would just be like, it is, it is so wet in here. <laughs> and I just feel like, I'm sorry, honey. Like it was soaked. It was so sweaty. Um, and then later the sugar cravings came in. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't have those right away. I had more like withdrawal type things. And then later, like the more emotional symptoms and sugar cravings and that kind of thing came in. But sugar cravings can be pretty hardcore. Oh yeah. I remember a guy said to me one time, he goes, he goes, eat the sugar. Yep. Don't drink the booze. <laughs> eat the sugar. 
pick the lesser of two evils. Trust me. Yep. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, that works. And I, and I, yeah, I, I, it, but it's, it's wild because I can sometimes go on a little bit of a sugar bender occasionally. Like I have, well, I think I was just in Ohio at a family reunion and it's like chocolate chip cookies, homemade chocolate chip cookies. I, I'll eat those till I, till I, you know, turn blue in the face <laughs> or, or till they're gone. Like they're gone. And I'm just give me milk or forget it. But, um, those sugar cravings were just like, I was just eating candy and just, you know, and it lasted about a week. It was, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was a, a thing. And you're like, and you think to yourself, and then for me, I think that I realized like, oh my God, how much sugar does alcohol really have in it? Because I was drinking just vodka, right? Just like vodka and soda, right? So no sweet drinks, like vodka was my thing. And then if I didn't do vodka, I would do beer, but like high alcohol content beer, like Tripels or whatever. And so those are very high in calories, like extremely high in calories. And I didn't realize it was just so much sugar. You might as well be drinking Pepsi all day, you know, or Pepsi. And I would never drink a Pepsi. Like you'd be like, here's Pepsi. I'd be like, I'm not drinking that. Like, Same. That's that. gross. You... That's so bad for you. It's so bad for you. And it's just, you're just like, oh my God. Yeah. I won't take an ibuprofen. You know, it's, um, it's it's nutty i remember that i would be so hungover but i would always be very regimented going to the gym every day so i would go to the gym like hungover or probably still drunk yep and just try because i get my workout in or i got to go to the sauna and sweat it out or whatever i mean just the madness would talk to me about the cycle the cycle of the madness yeah i did that too i went to the gym six days a week I tracked my stupid macros. I like, I had a notebook where I would like write down my progressive overload. Like I was really serious, hungover every day. Um, it's awful. And part of that is I think to prove to ourselves that we don't have a problem. See, I don't, I don't miss the gym ever. If I had a problem, I wouldn't be able to go in the morning. I wouldn't be able to get up at 5.30. Part of it yeah. is like proof that we can hold it together. Um, but for me, where the madness comes in is like you hold it together like that, like you're barely holding it together and you're doing, you're going to work hungover, you're going to the gym hungover and you're, you know, living your life bare minimum, like just getting by. And then you'll have a really bad night for some reason. Like you'll just really go for it and just like destroy, like maybe I threw up in the street that night. On. Or like threw up in the on the subway platform, or bl had like a really bad blackout. Like some, it'll happen. Like one day you'll just like go way too far, and then you can't hold it together, and you can't do these bare minimum things. And then that that thought of like maybe I have a problem starts to creep in, and then you know you you convince yourself you don't, and then you like recover and you go back to your normal low baseline. And you're like, okay, I can't possibly have a problem. I'm going to the gym every day and over and over. And then you just keep like getting lower and your baseline gets lower and lower and lower until yep. for, I think both of us, we can't convince ourselves we don't have an issue with it anymore. And then you have to really just look at it and be like, wow. Yeah. And then you have, you know, at least in my industry, right? Entertainment industry, there's a lot of substance. Yep whether it be drugs, alcohol, whatever. And I, you know, I would always find, well, you know, well, at least I'm not like that guy or this guy isn't worried. Like, 
you you have you find these little comparisons right you go well i didn't do this and, or then you then you then you realize that you don't have your act together and then somebody else points it out and then you're like well bro but i remember this and that like you know you get back and forth into these conversations where you're just literally trying to have you're 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 literally just trying to convince yourself of like i don't have a problem somebody said that you know and i want to say it's like mark Marin, and maybe i heard it on his show or something but he was talking about like, it wasn't you don't become addicted to the to the substance anymore you end up becoming addicted to the madness of it i mean i the vicious cycle i think about that with myself and i almost wonder as someone who's been through trauma like you know as i get more you know as i have more and more time right i start to think about well was that a possibility that in sort of you know the back of my mind that maybe perhaps that feeling of uncomfortability and that feeling of stress and duress actually reminded me of a time in my life when I went through through what I went through personally, the murder of my mother by my father and being abandoned and all this stuff, right? So maybe it, it made me feel like that or, uh, you know, and that was, there was a comfortability with that. I mean, I, I haven't really fully delved into that too much, but it is definitely something I keep thinking about. I mean, what do you think about that? I think a lot about that. I have two things <laughs> to say about that. Um, I want to hear them. So along the lines of what you're saying about the madness, I think we get addicted to chaos and drama because it's like all we know and we become comfortable with that. And we don't know how to just be. We don't know how to like have peace. And that feels like bad for us. And we like the chaos and the drama and we thrive on it. And we're like searching for bad friends and bad partners and and like making yeah. things worse than they are so that we can inject all of this chaos into our lives. So I think that's part of it. But another part that's really interesting that I think like specifically applies to you is trauma changes your brain just changes your brain and um i'll send this to you if you remind me later but sure. there was a study that i love that looked at two groups of people neither one had addiction issues they were normal people one group had childhood trauma the other group did not and they gave them morphine the group that did not have trauma, you know, felt kind of nauseous and like they didn't really like it. The group with the childhood trauma felt euphoric. And I had morphine when I was like 23 or something. I had a really bad kidney infection and I was in the hospital. I thought it was literally the best thing that's ever been invented. It was amazing. And I've had trauma but trauma can change your brain so that drugs and alcohol feel more pleasurable. They're more rewarding for you. So then you're more sensitive to the effects. You're more sensitive to both the euphoria, but then also like the anxiety reduction effects and like how it helps you with your stress or helps you with your depression. Like you become more sensitive to it. So if alcohol does a better job or drugs or whatever it is, of fixing your mental health problem, 
Sure. You're more inclined to do it all the time. Like if you, like my husband drinks two drinks and he starts to feel like tired and like headachey. I drink two drinks. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> I've, I've never felt this good in my entire life. So that's, so with trauma, it makes things like affect you more. So you're more likely to do them. And the more and more and more you repeat the behavior, the easier it is to become addicted. Sure. So I don't know your brain. I've never looked at never it. Cracked it open, but. But maybe, maybe you're more sensitive to the euphoric effects of drugs and alcohol. That's a really interesting point. I never thought about that. Yep. And I, I guess I never thought about it because I never, I was never like, oh, I feel bad about what happened to me. So I'm going to self-medicate. Yeah. Like it was never like, I was never drinking to self-medicate. I mean, sure. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah. The girl breaks up to me. I'll go get wasted with my buddies. Okay. Whatever. Like that occasionally. Right. But it was never like, oh, I'm living in my trauma. I feel like a bad person. I want to do this. I just want to get, no, it was always like I would drink and I would feel great. And then I wouldn't want to stop that great feeling. And then two days later, I didn't feel so great when I stopped. And that's what sucked. You know, that's where it was like, okay, this is a destructive habit for me. Yeah. And the way that mine showed up is I couldn't deal with any emotions. I never, like, I never learned how to do that. And everything would overwhelm me. I was always like right on the brink of being set off and being like too overwhelmed to function um, and like having a nervous breakdown, like that kind of feeling. Alcohol brought that down. So when I would feel like very overwhelmed, I could drink alcohol and then I was like, I can deal with my life now. And I thought yeah. it was helping. And I wasn't actively like sitting around like, oh, my, my trauma, my hardship, like, all these bad things are happening, but it was those bad things that then made me incapable of dealing with anything. And that's why I had, it was like my day to day, just the way that I existed, that was a result of everything I went through. And the end, because I had no tools, I didn't know how to, how to cope. Alcohol fixed it. I started with food and I was like, okay, if I binge eat, you know, this is, this is fun. Like this makes me feel good. Or if I don't eat at all, like it does this, it makes me feel powerful and like in control. But then I discovered alcohol and that just did it so much better. <laughs> and and then eventually you have to learn how to actually deal with things. You can't just use like substances or restricting food or like exercising or sex to control your emotions anymore. Yeah. Just sugar. Just sugar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned other things and it's, um, you know, I feel, I feel like alcohol has this double-edged sword. And I know that you speak about this where, you know, yeah, there's a, there's an ad that literally annoys the living piss out of me. And it's that Jim Beam ad. Have you seen this? They play it during the NBA game. And it's like, wherever Jim Beam is welcome, you'll be welcome too. It's like this thing. And I'm just like, I nobody is welcome there. <laughs> like, 
I was like, literally, I'm angry. And the, and the girl with the nose ring, and she's hip and cool. And she's like, hey, she hands him the thing. And he's like, and I'm just like, I hate that ad so much. That and the Budweiser, the Budweiser seltzer ads or soda ads. I get so those are my new ones that I'm just like, I hate those so much because it's this, just like this, uh, it's just this welcoming, just like everything is good and life is awesome. And I'm just like, it is so not. And I read something and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I remember reading something and maybe it's even in this naked mind, but where when you take that sip of alcohol, as soon as you have the alcohol in your body and it starts to process, you're going through withdrawals automatically. So that's why you want more if you're in that space. Is that true? Yeah. So as you're drinking, you become, you know, more and more intoxicated, obviously, and your liver is like fighting like, oh, we got to get rid of this. We got to process it. And then a couple hours after you start, you stop, then you're in withdrawals and it happens quick, quicker than we realize. You might still be kind of drunk when it's happening, when you make the switch over. And then that makes you crave alcohol because you might have anxiety from withdrawal, insomnia, like we talked about and alcohol yeah. corrects those problems. So now you're craving alcohol to fix the problem that alcohol just caused. And then you're just making your problems even worse because the longer you drink, the more like your body learns to rely on it and the worse your anxiety becomes. Like if you're, you know, I, I started having anxiety after drinking alcohol when I was 28 and I stopped drinking um, like right before I was 30. If I was still drinking now at 32, that anxiety would be so much worse. And that's where people get stuck is they drink and drink and drink and then they start to come down. And the anxiety is so powerful that they just like can't survive. So they drink again and then they need more and more and more and more alcohol to hold that anxiety off. And then the anxiety gets so much worse every time they try to stop. And it, it makes it so it's like almost impossible for them to stop because the anxiety is so bad. It's a vicious cycle. It's so sad. It's very sad. And, and you have to just like, it sucks for the first like two weeks or so, depending on the person, especially that first week, like it's going to suck. If you have anxiety after drinking alcohol, like you're going to feel really bad for the first few days. And you're going to have to just not drink and trust that you're going to feel better eventually. But the more we just like pile on the alcohol, the worse that anxiety gets. And then we can't even we can't even try to not drink because it's so bad. Like people will go to the emergency room for anxiety and because yeah. it's that bad for them. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they will. It's, um, it is, uh, it, it, yeah, it is a vicious, vicious cycle. What would you say to people that are like, what, if you could do it all over again? I mean, obviously you probably wouldn't drink, but if you had to do it all over again, what would you say to someone? Because for some people, it almost feels like, you know, when I quit drinking, they were like, God, I can't imagine that. It's so difficult. Like everybody, you know, how do you socialize? 
how do you and I, even for me i remember thinking like how will i be fun how will i be the i am way more fun sober you're super fun way more fun so, yeah you know <laughs> we're, we're both super fun we're both super fun and i and i'm thinking to myself like i don't miss any of that i can actually stay up later you know if i'm out with friends and there and, and i was just watching a friend and it was at this event and she was just a mess and she had this purse that she had bought of you know, YSL person and it felt and everybody was watching her and just like oh she's just she was a mess and she was I don't know if she showed up loaded but she got loaded quick and I just looked at her and I just was I felt so bad because I was like oh I remember those days I mean she was a mess and you know, her boyfriend's there helping her and just everybody and and everyone else was drinking but no one else was drinking like her and I just and I have a, a, a friend who was there who had also just recently quit drinking who i had you know inspired to like quit drinking right and she was saying god i just i felt so bad for her i wanted to you know i see that and i but i'm glad that i see that because i go okay i don't want to be that person again um what do you, but what do you say to that person that's really struggling like you know with not only like these social situations like how how do you get through to them so two things. Um, the first thing that I would say, are you actually having fun? Like we, whatever you fill in the blank, whatever you think alcohol helps you with or does for you, are you actually having fun? Are you actually less anxious? Are you actually a better parent? Are you actually less depressed? You know, whatever it is, just question it. It doesn't actually help. Are you sure? Are you sure you're having fun when you're socializing? Because I thought I was too. And I like, I humiliated myself so many times. It was awful. That's not fun. Blacking out, getting sloppy, falling down. That's not fun at all. Um, so question that and pay attention. Like we don't, alcohol prevents us from being able to have self-awareness. So this is hard. Yeah. But try to look back on your experiences. And instead of saying like, I'm the biggest loser ever. I'm the worst. I hate myself. Every, everybody thinks I suck. I'm a terrible parent or spouse. Like all of these things where we beat ourselves up. Try to reflect on the moment and actually think about what happened. What made you drink? Did you get the outcome that you were looking for? what actually happened in the night like we we focus on that first hour and we're like oh drinking's so fun like i feel so much less stress and it helps my anxiety and it it makes me like more social does it though what about hour four like think yeah. through the whole experience that's what i would encourage people to do and the next morning and when you go to bed at night, like that counts. That's part of the whole experience. So don't yeah. just focus on that like one hour. Think about the whole thing and then yeah. ask yourself that. Like if she reflected on that and was like, did I actually really have fun? And she looked back, she'd be like, ooh, <laughs> I don't want to have that kind of fun ever again. I think you just made it, you made a post recently and you said something like alcohol doesn't make you socialize. It makes you tolerate people and experiences that you don't like. Yep. <laughs> and that is so true. Yeah. And it's almost like, I feel like when I say to people, you know, because I, I obviously don't get asked a lot like you do, 
but they asked me, they're like, oh, I heard you quit drinking or, oh, I saw that in one of your posts or, oh, I heard you talk about that on the podcast. What did you like? What were you doing? And I think I was like, you know, one of the things I say is I started doing things that I felt were that I, I really wanted to be a part of. And that was a big part for me of like, I'm going to do activities that I really enjoy. I'm not going to be around people. I think that a lot of people feel when they quit drinking that they're going to lose their friend base. I did. I lost a lot of friends. But then I realized that those were my drinking buddies. Those are my friends I could get wasted with. And then when I said, when I was getting sober, then that makes them look at their life because then I'm not the sloppy one that they're hanging out with. They're the sloppy ones and they don't like that. And I lost a lot of friends. Um, but I realized that those were just my party buddies. They weren't really my friends, you know? And I just, uh, yeah. I mean, did you experience the same thing? Yeah. I stopped getting invited to things. Um, yeah. People were talking to me about that. Yeah. People stopped talking to me and I think it was a combination of, they thought, you know, they shouldn't invite me because it might make me uncomfortable or they don't want to put me in it. So I think people didn't know like what to do with the sober person. And I think also we just didn't have anything in common. Like it's okay for friendships to fade away. Like think about our criteria for having friends. Like if, if you didn't want to binge drink for many, many hours, like I had no interest in talking to you. And if you did want to binge drink, for many, many hours. Cool. Let's go. That's the only criteria. I don't care. <laughs> That's it. If you can go and like get drunk with me and keep up and you just want to go all night, we're best friends. But when you yeah. take that away, like, do you actually have anything in common? Like often? No, you don't. And no. And like for anyone in this position, eventually not right away i was able to flip it around and think like what if they got sober and i didn't i would mm. have no interest in hanging out with them because i like i just said i only want to hang out with people that want to get destroyed why <laughs> would i want to hang out with a sober person i'm gonna go drink a thousand drinks with the sober person no and especially like when I was questioning it the whole time too, like, I don't want to hang it. I want to hang out with the people. Like, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. You know, that's yeah, who I want to yeah. be friends with, not the sober person. So it's that too. <laughs> I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that guy. Oh, I loved those people. And then I realized right. too, I realized people were saying that about me. Probably people were probably saying, at least I'm not as bad as Jill. And when I yeah. realized that, I was like, wow, that's, that puts it in perspective. <laughs> oh, I know. I know for a fact <laughs> that, I mean, I remember I was working on a project and we were partying at the project. It was a party and it was a job that I did, but I was going to bed the night before I come off, like turning one off, but I decided to go out with my friends. They're like, come on out with us. And then I, I, I you know, I was already like, woo, lit up when I arrived. And then I just remember somebody, I didn't really remember the day. It's not that I passed out or anything. I was just lit like a Christmas tree the whole time. And I remember saying something, yeah, we kind of knew when you were eating a sub and it fell down your shirt and you were like, oh, like, I was like, oh my God. I did that once. I did that. And it was so, so embarrassing. embarrassing. 
but I had no idea it happened. I didn't remember. I know that I just embarrassed myself and I was just so ashamed. And it took me a long time to get over that. And, um, yeah, I just, ugh, it was terrible. I mean, it was years ago, and, but you know, that didn't cause me to get to be like, oh, I should stop. I was like, whatever. I mean, well, actually I did stop. I stopped for like, I think I took like six months off again. I was like, okay, I need to get this rain this in and not have these experiences. But you know, it was back to usual, you know, back to normal. Yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, again, it's always like that for me, it was like the stress release. It's like, okay, I've just pulled 30 working days in a row. And it's, and it's like, you know, they say, okay, can you moderate your drinking? I think the, the better question is, can you moderate your life so you don't have to drink? Like, what does that look like? You know, uh, that's what I learned to do. I learned to say, okay, to have, to set boundaries with myself, to set boundaries with other people. And sometimes like, I'm a, far from a perfect hu human, but sometimes I think that, you know, I, uh, you know, and, and, and I do let people push my boundaries a lot. I'm a creative, I'm a, naturally a people pleaser as, as someone who comes through trauma. Right. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, when I, when I set those boundaries, I was like, okay, boom. Now I can really, uh, now I can really get a hold of this and I can, because instead of regulating the drinking, which I can't regulate, clearly I'm going to regulate the activity that leads me to drink. I love that. Yeah. Um, what that made me think of is like, we're always trying to get through life. We're just like hanging in, surviving the day constantly need a reward for everything like you lived another day in your life and now you need to be rewarded for yeah. for making it through tuesday um but the way when i stopped drinking i didn't know this until i stopped but i realized like my life could actually be good my life yeah. could be the good part that yep. could be the reward part. I don't need to have like, my life doesn't have to be like a big giant piece of crap. And then I get this little treat at the end, you know, this little like drinking treat. It's like, oh, good job. You lived like another horrible day in your life. Like have a little bit of wine. Like your life can be the good part. And that's, yeah. that's eventually what I, it took some time, but that's eventually what I realized. That's a beautiful statement. That is so true. It is. And it's so empowering when you realize like your life can be good. Like maybe it's going to take some time to get there. And because, you know, we're not building like this amazing life while we're drinking all the time and like blowing it up. But you can, without alcohol around, you can build a life that you like. And it might take you six months, it might take you two years, it might take you five years, whatever it is, but you can like get to a place where you're generally happy most days with your situation. And that is some, like, I wake up and I'm just like, yes, I get to like, sometimes I can't sleep. I'm like so excited to just like wake up and just like live in my life. You know, I'm so excited about it. Where before I would wake up and I'd be like, oh, <laughs> this again right so depressing i'm so anyone who's who's there we see you and we feel yeah. for you 
and you can get there. Yep. You can do it. I mean, that's the, the big point of my podcast is you can make it through this unspeakable trauma and come out the other side. Okay. I mean, you know, there are, there are support systems. There are people that, there are people that have been through this before you, if you're sitting there struggling with this and there are people that you can find and there are people that are not going to judge you or make you feel bad because trust me, our stories are probably way, way worse. Or we can match you story for story. It's interesting you say you don't like to talk about that on your podcast because you don't like it. It's it's almost like you, you feel like it might be a glorification, and I, I totally concur with that. It's it's you know some people, you know, oh, it's, I don't like to think about that either. You know, I share that little meatball sub falling on my shirt, but I, I don't like to think about things like that, and it's embarrassing too. It's so embarrassing. It's embarrassing you let something that that is so preventable. I mean, because I, I was a bartender for years. I didn't drink. I mean, occasionally. When I when I say drink, I just, you know, I wasn't drinking. Like, I wouldn't drink while I worked. I would taste the drinks to make sure they were good. If I made something for special for someone, put a little straw in it, dip. Okay, great. But I would never, you know, I wasn't, like, drinking while I was working like all my other fellow bartenders. I had a complete control over it. it it's, it's so wild. And then... I think once I harnessed that mentality again and said, okay, I can do that again. You know, here I was, I could have drank all day working at a bar. They wouldn't have cared. You know, everybody was drinking. It wouldn't have mattered. And I realized that like, oh yeah, I can do that again. I can harness that in my life. I think, you know, filling your life with activities that really fulfill you and enrich you to replace that. You know, what do you think about the replace the replacement theory? A lot of people, you know, say, what I think your thoughts on that? people will try to replace alcohol with some other like thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that works. Like I think people, you know, you'll see, I don't know if you saw this in those Facebook groups that you were in, but this used to make me so mad. They'd be like, oh, just have tea or have sparkling <laughs> water in a pretty glass. And I'd be like, you don't understand. You don't understand right. anything. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, so I don't think you can just like swap out your drink because alcohol is like doing something. Tea's, yes. tea's not doing that, you know? Yeah. Uh, only bad stuff is going to do what alcohol did, like sugar. That's another re reason we gravitate towards it. Right. But I think like adding things in, because when I drank, I removed everything from my life that wasn't alcohol. I didn't, I lost all my interests. I lost all my hobbies. Um, I lost my friends that didn't want to party. And I removed all of these things from my life so that I could just have my alcohol. And then when you try to stop, for me, like I didn't have anything. I had like The Bachelor and like a thousand hours of TV to watch every day. Like that's gonna make you miss drinking. And you have to yeah. find, like I tried Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And like, I choked out the instructor and I felt like so cool about it. But you have to like try, I, I wouldn't do that when I was drinking. I didn't have time for that. You can't drink while you do that. Especially that. Yeah, <laughs> you can't do that hungover. So I think like adding in activities and then that replaces it. So, so kind of like a roundabout way, but I don't think you can say like, I'm not gonna have my wine, but I'm gonna have sparkling water in a pretty glass like that's not really gonna do it for you right it's not gonna do anything yeah. 
you're gonna drink it and it might work for like a day or two and then you're gonna be like meh where's the yeah. wine <laughs> where's the real drink totally totally or people uh, will do it too um with na drinks they'll try to drink na drinks instead of real drinks and yeah. if you're like some people can have like one non-alcoholic beer and then it's like cool and it's it's like a nice little social thing and then they move on but if you're slamming a six pack of heineken zeros in your house by yourself that's a whole different thing now you're like you're drinking for some outcome like you need to you need to think about your intention for whatever you're bringing into your life and yeah do something crazy that's my advice something totally crazy that's why I picked jujitsu, because I never played sports. I don't run. I'm not active. I didn't even know how to do a somersault when I went. And I was like, what's the craziest thing I can do? And then I decided that is it. And it really pushed me out of my comfort zone. And it's a cool memory. Like I can tell people forever that I did it. So I would say pick something totally nuts and then just try it within reason. I love it. I love it. This is great. Yeah, why not? Then you're distracted. Um, one last thing. Obviously, you are married mm -hmm. and you were struggling with this while you were married. What do you say to spouses of people who are going through this? Like, how do they, you know, it's obviously Al-Anon and things like that, but like outside of that, like how do they support their, what is the best way for them to support their partner who's struggling? That is so hard. Anyone who's in that situation, like that is so hard to just to watch the person that you love just like completely destroy themselves. Um, what my husband did that I think was really helpful is he never shamed me. He never said like, I don't think you need another drink or like, haven't you had enough to drink? Like he never made comments about my drinking because then that makes me drink more. If you're going to come and maybe I've had enough, well, now I'm going to have 10 more. So thank yeah, you. Right. Thank you thank very you. much, sir. Um, I think being careful, like not to inject more shame into that person's life, because even if you don't know it, they do feel a lot of yeah. shame. And there are things like commenting on how much they're drinking. Haven't you had enough? And things like that can add more shame. And w so that was something helpful that he did. And he was just always there for me. Like I never felt like I was alone. Um, he always took care of me. So then when it came time where I really wanted to make a change, I felt so safe going yeah, to yeah. him. I felt, felt yeah, like there was no judgment. He wasn't going to be like, finally, like I knew he yeah. was just going to support me. Um, and I think you can also kind of sneak attack your family member. Like if they start to complain about how bad they feel, instead of saying like, you know, maybe it's because you drank 10 beers last night, you could say, why do you think you feel so bad today? Why do you think your anxiety is so bad? And ask questions because you telling us that our drinking is a problem is going to make us retreat from you and want to drink more. But the goal is to help us realize it's actually a problem. 
So being inquisitive and helping us like become aware of the consequences will help like break through that denial and also not protecting anyone from their consequences. Like if they're, if they have to call out of work sick, you don't make that call for them. They deal with those consequences. You don't like clean up their mess. Like they have to really see it. They have to see like, this is the outcome from my drinking. They have to have a clear idea and then they can like get out of the denial and stop. There you go. I mean, that's, that is so key. That is so key building that trust with your partner. And then that lays the foundation for them to get healthy. Yeah. You want them to feel like they can come to you. Cause if they try to do it alone and they're like unsuccessful, like it just support increases their chances of success. And if they can come to you and then also, you know, like all these books and resources and podcasts and like meetings, like then you can help them and then they can like really make a change. That's wonderful. Uh, Okay. Last thing, what are you up to? So you just got back from podcast movement 22 in Dallas what's like what's next for you what's on the horizon i'm very busy um as a businesswoman <laughs> I, I love this i own a podcast network um a very popular mental health podcast and i'm trying to grow it and get ridiculous amount of exposure for my awesome shows that are in the network really i just want to grow and i want to help people Eventually, I would love to write a book, but I think that's like far. I think you would, you should write a book too. I want to write a book so bad. Yeah, yeah, that would be a good book. It's just the pod, getting the podcast to the point where that can sustain that yep. is where I want to get to. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but and that's I'm working my butt off for it. But sometimes there's some steps taken backwards, which yep. is a problem. Um, this is great though. Um, so you got the network. How many shows do you have now? Um, I have four shows, including mine, but I might have two more joining very soon and hopefully a lot more after that. And you're going to increase that bill on a megaphone. Yeah, that <laughs> megaphone bill is going to be ridiculous. <laughs> it's going to hurt. A, it's a good thing. It's a good thing, though. It's a good thing. I love this. Jill, thank you so much for joining us. So real quick, where can people find you? You have the Sober Powered Podcast and Sober Powered Media is your network, right? But where else can they find you? Yeah. So if you search Sober Powered, you'll find me. If you want to learn about my awesome network, that's Sober Powered Media. I worked very hard on my website. I'm very proud of it. It's, it's a great website. <laughs> thank you. I put my podcast movement um, speaker picture on there yesterday. Awesome. And I feel like you know, like a cool girl. <laughs> you are a cool girl. You don't feel like one. You are one. <laughs> Maybe someday. Oh, that's great. Um, thank you so much, Jill, for your time. You have a great day. Thank you. I think that is about as honest of a conversation I can have. And Jill is just such a great support, a great inspiration. And again, if you guys are struggling or any, you know, someone who's struggling with, with you know, alcohol or substance abuse and is looking for some help or just to engage in a community that it doesn't involve like a 12 step program or, you know, a sort of religious guidance. It's just sort of on your own accord, what you want to do and have some people help you hold yourself accountable. Uh, you can find that through Jill's, uh, sober powered media through sober powered podcast and through her network of people. 
and myself, I'm always open. You guys want to DM me? I'll read it. <laughs> I'll talk to you. Uh, I'm happy to support you guys. Um, so yeah, I, uh, you know, I, this was a conversation was a long time coming. A lot of people asked me about stuff like this. I'm going to tell you something. I don't miss drinking at all. Um, my finances don't either. <laughs> um, you know, I think when you start to think about it and if it's taking a toll on your life and you want to make a change, I'm here to support you on that. And if you don't, that's totally cool too. I'm, I'm with all of it. Um, I just support you guys and I love that you support me and I'm here for you and, uh, whatever you need. So, uh, on that note, I'm Collier Landry and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.